Hi, it's Brett Cowell, and this is the Total Life Complete podcast coming to you from Oak Cliff in Texas. Today, I'm here with Javier Garcia Del Moron, engineer, bookshop owner, and inspective experiences. <laughs> Welcome, Javier. <laughs> Thank you, Brett. Thank you so much for having me here. My pleasure, and, and I'm so excited to talk to you. Hopefully today we'll cover, you know, books, beer, and uh, Bologna, maybe. The first question I ask all the guests is, how do you introduce yourself at a party when people ask what you do? Well, I usually, well, I always introduce myself as a civil engineer, because that's really how I make my living. And then if, well, if we find some common grounds as the conversation goes, I might bring up the bookstore and what we do here. But for the most part, I refer to that question with how I make my living, which is through the engineering world yet. <laughs> Let's talk about engineering. <laughs> yeah. Where I want to start um, today is with the bookshop, and then we'll get on to engineering after that and, and the overlap. So let's start off by, by talking about the wild detectives. Mm -hmm. um, you know, probably two-thirds of the people listening to this podcast are not in Dallas. There's people um, around the U.S., and give a shout out to people listening in the Bronx. I'm not sure what they're going to make of this in Brooklyn and in New York and San Francisco and elsewhere around the world. But uh, So what is the Wild Detectives to start off with? Well, I mean, believe it or not, I get that question very often and I still don't have a straight answer. <laughs> well, obviously, um, primarily it's a bookstore and a bar. That's, that's what it is. And it's a space where we sell books and drinks and coffee as well. And where we also uh, carry different events from... Um, book presentations, poetry readings, music shows, panels, discussions. So in a word, you could tell that is a, a gathering cultural place. Uh, when, I mean, as far as what's what we're trying to do with it, we have different purposes, I think at different levels. At a personal level, it's probably a place where we want to express things that we love. Uh, I start the bookstore with a friend of mine that we've been friends for many years, and we share a big passion for books and, and movies and music and hanging out and bars. So at a personal level is a place where we can express those things that uh, is very important for us to, important. it's been very important for us in our personal development, this sort of conversations, how we talk about the things that we like, books that we loved, and places that we visited, music that we listened, or bands that we saw. And in a way, the bookstore is that place where we can express all that physically. And we don't have to be <laughs> torturing our friends with what they should read. Now we just put it out and people just can choose whether to listen to us or not. As well, in a general level, it's a place where, or where we're trying to um, somehow increase the spectrum of people that consume culture or what we call quality culture, uh, we we find or we think that um, uh, literature, if we if we don't put attention, is probably going to end like poetry or classical music, that initially they were popular uh, forms of art and it became more intellectual or somehow designated for elite people. So we find that literature and books are becoming some sort of uh, article or an object that is only meant to certain people, you know, with certain skills. So one of the things we're trying to do with the bookstore is to expand that uh, spectrum of people that can enjoy that by making it more approachable. Uh, and probably drinks is a way to make it more approachable. <laughs> and also a place where people that don't necessarily read often can feel at home as well. 
and well, they might choose to find a book or to talk about a book that initially were not thinking about reading, but by the conversation might find interesting to give it a chance. And then also um, we try to create a space where people can enjoy culture and celebrate those things, maybe without making the conscious decision. Uh, when you decide to go to a book presentation or a reading, you're making that decision. And sometimes it's difficult to bring people that are not into that with you. With our bookstore being a bar, we kind of like making that decision easier or not conscious. You just go there, hang out, and somehow we set the environment. So the conversations we try to trigger somehow skew into this sort of art, you know, or form of art or books or music or things like that. So many things, I guess, uh, that we're trying to do or what it means. But well, Bottom Line is a place where you can just hang out and surrounded by culture in general. On the podcast, we, we've kind of talked to a range of, of different folks doing different things in Dallas. And, you know, clearly there's a lot going on here. Um, but I think one of the local newspapers uh, called the Wild Detectives Bookshop the best thing in Dallas in 2014. <laughs> <laughs> why, why is that? And now you've started alluding to it. There's a, there's, it's a bookshop, but but more and, and maybe a little bit of a movement and we'll talk about that again in a second. Why was it, why is it the well, best thing in Dallas? We have, <laughs> I mean, that was very flattering. Part of me also tells me that they really wanted to give us some award, but they didn't know what, <laughs> because we're not, I mean, when we started, yes, when we started, we were the only independent bookstore in town. Mm -hmm. So I guess we could have, yeah, won the bookstore award. Definitely not the best bar because there are bars that are more interesting than us as a bar or a music venue, for sure. We are not even a real music venue. So I think that was a way to celebrate a business like ours in the city. That was, I think, lacking some sort of cultural spot, just focus only on culture. And, and yeah, that was very flattering because, in fact, that was probably the best award we could ever got. Because even I call our, our place as a bookstore, but when I talk to other bookstore owners, I I can't help but feel myself a little bit of a, of I don't know of someone that is not a real bookstore, you know, a real bookseller. So that award, yes, I think for us made sense, even if it sounds a little bit um, how to put it. But at the same time, it defined well what we're trying to do, which is a new thing that uh, in a city that was lacking part of that, obviously Dallas already had a lot of cultural life before we came in, obviously, but I think our, there, was, there was nothing like our space back then. And I think it was a really good way to put it, like a, one of the best new things that happened in town during that year. So yeah, I mean, that was probably one of the best awards that we ever got. How did you come to select this location and just building on that is, was there a number of possible places you could have gone and why Oak Cliff? Well, it was a number of um, things that happened uh, coincidentally. Initially, I moved to Dallas in 2012. And a few months after that, uh, well, when I, when I moved here, I started living in Deep Ellum. And my friend Paco, my partner in the bookstore, he was already living here. Uh, so, well, I knew Dallas a little bit before coming to the city to live. And for the things I knew, Deep Ellum seemed the place that I really fit better my interests because I like to go shows and I don't like to drive a lot, especially when I'm going out. So I always like to be in areas where I can walk and do kind of like a independent life without having to drive. So I chose uh, Deep Ellum and then um, at the same time I discovered the Texas Theater. 
And Paco, my partner and I used to go to Texas Theater just to have cocktails on Sundays. We'll, I guess we would come here for brunch with a few friends and then him and I would just stay at the Texas Theater drinking or watching a movie. And then after we became friends with the guys there, they offered us to do a Spanish movie series at the theater. And we started with that. And we had a good response from the public. So by the time Paco and I had been talking about doing something like this, like the bookstore for 10 years, but it was kind of like a bar conversation, just sitting in a bar saying, okay, well, we did our perfect place, it will be like this or like that. And then I guess the movie thing sort of made us believe that, well, maybe we could do it. We were living in the same city again after traveling in different places and why not try it? We didn't have kids, any of us, and we didn't have much more responsibilities than the actual job. We both are engineers. So we started looking, uh, and we found this um, uh, real estate company in Oak Cliff. And we just called them, hey, we're looking at a place where we could do a bookstore or maybe sell alcohol so we can create some sort of scene where people can hang out and talk about these things that we like. And the very first place we were shown was actually the house where we are today. Wow. The very first one. Uh, we went in there and we initially we just wanted to rent it. We we weren't thinking about doing everything. We just saying, okay, let's do this in a controlled damage mode. So if things go completely nuts, okay, we lost all this money, but it's what it is. We just tried. So we saw that place and because it was a house and it was divided with walls, we didn't really think it was going to work. So then we considered other options. And luckily, the other option that we actually strongly consider had asbestos in it. So at the point we were, when we always we were really close to sign the agreement for that or the lease agreement for that uh, property, we realized about the asbestos and we backed up. And then we went back to the original house. And the owner of the house, which was essential to all this came to fruition, said, OK, I can help you guys with the demolition if you want to, because I think it's a good, it's a good project. So we started working on that, and then um, I guess one thing led to another, and we ended up buying the house and do a whole remodel and everything. But since day one, we were clear that we wanted to do the place, the bookstore in Oak Cliff. Because six months in after I moved to Dallas, I realized that 80% of my weekends happened in Oak Cliff. And I realized that it, it was much easier to get a cab from Deep Ellum back to Oak Cliff than right. from Oak Cliff back right. to Deep Ellum in During that time, now with Uber is all fine and good, but back then it was a nightmare to go back home. So yeah, we both decided that we wanted to live here and we wanted our business to be here because we found, I always, I always found Oak Cliff very interesting in the way that just things happen. You know, you go there, sit in a bar, I used to go with Nova, have a drink, and there was always someone in the bar just randomly talking to you, which is sort of the experience I had in Austin. When I, the first city I lived in the U.S. was Austin, Texas. And what I loved about Austin is any day of the week, you, just, you could go out and things could happen, which, is, which happens in nice cities like Madrid or Dublin, you know, where people just go out there and see, and see what's going on. So I always found that sort of vibe in Oak Cliff. Maybe let's talk a little bit about the story leading up to this. Yeah. I know you've told the story lots of times and I'll, <laughs> I'll put a link to your TED talk also in the show notes so, so you can hear it. But I think it's just relevant for listeners that haven't heard that. Well, um, like I mentioned earlier, this all comes from bar talk. I mean, Paco and I, my friend, we met in Dublin uh, like 12 or 13 years ago, maybe a little more. 
we were both civil engineers. I was going, I mean, I went to school in Madrid and he went to Valencia, a different city in Spain. So we finished our degrees and masters and then we ended up working for the same company in Dublin, in Ireland. And then we started just hanging out together. We both love Guinness and pops and music and reading and we just became really close friends. And because we were expats, we had some money so we could travel while we were living there. So we started traveling a lot. I mean, long travels, weekend travels, things that we, because when you live abroad, it's kind of easier for you to leave, to leave home because nothing really attaches you there. So we, we became close friends and we shared those strong interests about uh, books and movies and culture in general. And, um, well, that was really the German of the whole bookstore thing. As far as um, having this Bolaño inspiration, that was mainly because Paco had read that book and then it was a trip that we did to Australia for Christmas one year and I was reading the book on the plane and then, well, it's a, it's a long trip going to Australia, so I almost... It's a long book. <laughs> and it's a long book too, yeah, but I almost finished the book during that trip. I didn't, I didn't finish it. When I was having this conversation with Paco, I hadn't finished it yet. But anyway, we just got there. We were in Melbourne in a bar, and I remember telling him, man, I mean, I, I really liked the book, and I think I was 28 by then, something like that. And I was telling him, this is one of those books that you, how you ever, how you read it when you were 14 or you could probably change your life drastically because it has a way of exploring life very particular, very free and interesting, but without really needing anything, but just curiosity, you know? And he said, yeah, I agree with you. I mean, it's, it's one of those books that really hit you hard. And in fact, somehow it changed our lives because that, uh, in a way, forces us, forces us, inspire us to do what we did after. So after that, uh, I left Dublin to go to Austin. And then a few months after that, he left Dublin as well to go to Dallas, Texas, here. So for four years, I was living in Austin. He was living in Dallas. And then I was relocated to Dallas, always working for the same company, actually. I was relocated to Dallas and that's when we started going to the Texas theater and when all this got tangible, I guess, and we found the place. It's a nice literary uh, tie-in and uh, the book is called The Savage Detective, so we haven't actually mentioned the name of it and we'll put this in the show notes. And I'm partway through the book. It's a, it's a great one and um, I'm really inspired. I can see why you're inspired by by the book and the and it's set in Mexico City, and, and I just want to send a shout out to people in Mexico City that are suffering there because of the earthquake and condolences yeah. and thoughts. Because Absolutely. It's been tough. Very tough. Had you been to Mexico City? Uh, oh, yeah, many times. Oh, yeah. In fact, in fact yeah. uh, Paco lives there now. Oh, right. So right. I, I go there almost every month. Yeah. <laughs> before you read the book, had you been there? No. No, I've never been there before. Yeah. No. I wouldn't say the book was the actual inspiration to everything we did. The book is just exposes or expresses a really, is what I love about literature, is um, um, there's a writer that used to say that the, the most interesting books are the books about what happened to everyday people every day. And I think that's what, I mean, at least those are the books that matter to me. And that book is somehow that way. I mean, obviously the two characters are very different from the normal people you meet, but it tells you how you can live a fulfilling life or a very interesting and attractive life with nothing but just poetry and interest in, in books, you know, and in relationships with people of your friends. So, and I always value those things a lot. 
So, yeah, I mean, by reading the book, you obviously want to visit Mexico City and that vibrant activity, all these crazy guys, you know, taking poetry as it was a war between two enemy armies or something like that. At the same time, then the book really goes on in different parts of the world. So it also makes you curious about, okay, you could go to so many places and all you need is someone that you know and a place to sleep, you know, and then you can just go there and see what happens. And I think that's really powerful when you realize that you can really <clears throat> enjoy life with very little things and have like a very intense way of living them. I think that's a very powerful thing that the book can get to you. And I think the book does that. Yeah, and there's great life advice as well. This idea that, that thinkers and artists had met in various spots around the world, how did that influence you and, and then the design of the place? Well, for us, it's very important that people talk to each other. I mean, all most of the things that you do in life are influenced by people that you know and what they tell you about. So I think we all agree that uh, uh, the information exchange is, is essential for your personal development. At the same time, I'm moving into what you like and your passion. I I guess I, I value a lot this type of um, objects, spook and or records or things like that for me are important. And at the same time, I really value people that recommend me good things. And usually those recommendations happen when we are drinking or hanging out and we really start we get very passionate about what things that we like and what things we don't like. And I love those conversations with my friends, how I hate something that they love or the other way around. So for us, it was essential that it was a place that you could talk to someone. Even, obviously, music is important because it's very important for us, but we really wanted to create a place where people could exchange information because that's really the key. I mean, nowadays, obviously, people still talk to each other, but... I have nothing against sports bars. I go with them every now and then. But I think the environment somehow affects the conversations you have with your friends. And some bars, because the way they are, I'm not I'm not picking on sports bars, on any bar, a disco, or any place like that. Sometimes it's difficult to have certain types of conversations, not to mention the work environment or other places where it's almost impossible to get to a certain level of uh, depth. So we wanted to create a place where the atmosphere somehow affected what you were talking about. No, not what you were talking about. I don't want to get so ambitious about um, We're not really <laughs> influencing what people talk about. You have to pass about. a test before you <laughs> <laughs> No, no, no. no. It's, it's actually the, the opposite of what we're trying to do. But in a way, we wanted to, in a subtle way, skew that conversation and say, okay, you guys are surrounded by books, uh, you have this sort of music playing out here or people that come here might tell you that, well, like I was here last month and I saw this author and I saw this event. And in a way, that might help to foster that type of conversation. So all in all, the main goal of the venue was, or the, the space was selling books, not even selling books. It was just create this conversation, this scene where people that like that could just have a place to go no matter what day it was. And so, yeah, I mean, it was very important for us to make sure that people felt comfortable and in a way that they could feel, you know, uh, stimulated to have these conversations. How important was the timing? Uh, well, I've known Dallas from 2008. Mm. And I think our place 
we've been welcome as well by that time. When I when I started coming to Dallas, I noticed that it was lacking a few things. At the same time, I saw that they had a lot of things that you could live with too. There was a difference, a big difference between the Dallas I found in 2008 and 2014 when we opened the bookstore. But I think the big, the bigger change happened after that. I think Dallas today in 2017 is way more different than what it was in 2014, as opposed to when it was in 2014 compared to 2008. This is me talking without having really lived here until 2012. So someone that is has been living here for all that long might disagree with that. But for the most part, I really saw the Pelum really picking up after 2013, 14. Oak Cliff pretty much started the way we know it in 20, 2008, 2009. But I think Oak Cliff, the way we know it, it will no longer be in the next two years with all the construction going on. I don't know which direction will that go, but it will be for sure different. So I think our 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 project would have been very well welcome back then, as it was in 2014. In fact, the big question is, will we be able to survive with all the new things coming to town when we're no longer different? Mm -hmm. that, that, I guess that's the question. That's my next question. <laughs> Actually, what, what is the key? And, and I want to come back to a few things, the shopism movement, and uh, maybe just now I went to a coffee shop this morning and I walked in there and everybody was sitting there alone on their computer with their headphones on, tapping away at the screen. So I, I didn't engage in any philosophical debate about life or the latest books that I read. No one seemed to uh, give me an opportunity to do that. Yeah, and, and I don't think we should compare coffee shops today with how coffee shops were 200 years ago. I mean, it's different different places. Um or places where people gather to drink and talk. Um, to me, what uh, I mean, the new, the new times as far as how people interact with each other, obviously, is changing rapidly. And when people talk about a coffee shop today, it's almost like a co-working space from 8 a.m. till 6 p.m. Maybe after that, if the coffee shop says alcohol, there might be a little variation. But the moment you have Wi-Fi and big tables and an environment that is quiet for the most part, people will just use it to work, which is okay. And people do that in our place too, especially Monday through Friday. You still have ways to somehow affect that. In our case, we we change the environment. We well, for starters, we cut the Wi-Fi for the weekends because it's true. We when we when we open. Uh, Six, seven months in, I was there a weekend with a friend. I was seeing everybody on the computer and the laptops on a Saturday night. And I said, well, if this is the way this is going to be, I'm not interested. And because this is not really the reason why we put this together. So we started implementing measures to just to change that trend at the at the bookstore. And we made it. And cutting the Wi-Fi probably was very drastic and a lot of people didn't take it well. But for the most part, we were able to shift the environment where we want it to be. Then uh, the music plays a big part as well, the lights. I mean, there are many things that you can do to drive that. So although we all consider coffee shops from the Lightman period, like as the, well, as the, the places where the development was happening, where people actually were exchanging ideas and making progress, you know, intellectually wise. 
I don't think we can compare those to the actual coffee shops today. And then bars are probably the only place that you can compare them with. Uh, places where people hang out in a relaxed way and drink and and well and talk, you know. So the times just change the environment and certain things are not the way they used to be. But you always have those spaces available to you. And then modernity created some challenges, but also uh, created some opportunities. I mean, we we have to fight with the Wi-Fi. We also have to fight in a different level with the e-books and things like that. But I think people still appreciate human contact and, and, values, and values that. So as long as you give the public certain things that they value, you shouldn't be that afraid of uh, the, those new technologies. Because if, if people stop valuing that, well, you will, will disappear. But I don't really see that happening anytime soon. I might be optimistic, but I don't see that. I just wondered whether uh, people kind of feel a bit awkward going to a space in 2017 and, and striking up a conversation with people. I think, well, people do that all the time. And I find, in fact, I find the U.S. a very good place for that. I think people here don't have that physical or mental barrier to talk to strangers as we have in Europe, especially, well, in England and Spain a lot too. In Spain, people like to talk about ourselves like, oh, we are so uh, passionate and we talk to everyone and we live life so full. And, and I think that's not really the case. I mean, we are really afraid to talk to strangers. And that doesn't happen here. In the U.S., people... I always tell, when people come to visit me, I always tell that I have a rule that it always applies. I mean, you put two Americans in a bus stop or in, in a bar next to each other and there's no way they're not going to talk to each other in the next 15 minutes. It will happen, for sure, it will happen. And I think that's a very interesting thing of these of the people living here. So people do that even in, the people do that in the elevator, they will do that in a bar, especially when they drink, even if it's just a coffee. So yeah, I mean, I I think that people don't really find that that awkward. They go there, especially when they see that you're in a place where that's encouraged. Not specifically encouraged. We don't have signs saying you need to talk to each other or anything like that. Well, in fact, we have once a, a sort of a game where you talk to a stranger, you will get a drink for free. Yeah, we did that for, for a little bit. Yeah, But for the most part, you just, the environment almost tells you that, okay, this place is probably okay to talk to strangers because the moment you have books, you know, people that read a book are already ready to explore something new. So in a way, in a subtle way or unconscious way, it's like you're in a bookstore. In a bookstore, you usually are less afraid of asking someone, hey, have you read this book or, or the bookseller? It's like friendly environments where you feel safe, I think. There was also that... Uh where you buy a book and get a beer. How's that? And I, I kind of want to get into what, what does it take to be successful and to survive in the book industry? Well, those things, I mean, that was a marketing, it was pr pretty much a marketing thing. We, we sell books that way, but it's not really the core of our business. But yeah, we, well, obviously having Amazon on mine where you just buy everything from the internet, which is so easy and comfortable, your home or at work and say, oh, I need this, and you click it and you have it at home. You want it the next day or the same day now. So that was a way to, okay, we will never be able to compete with that, but we can do something that these guys can't, which is give you something real and come here and well, maybe you meet someone here or you can just bring a friend and 
it's not as comfortable as buying it from the house, but it might be more fulfilling. So those things, I think the most important thing they do is make people understand what we do. Uh, it's a way to send a message so people understand what is what you're trying to achieve with the place. And if people find that interesting, they will support you. So even if people, a lot of people talk about that, but most of them probably don't use it because they just go there and buy the book. But they like to go to a place they can just talk about in that way. I like to go, I, I like going to places when I leave and go home. I like to tell my friends, man, I went to this place, they do this, they do that. It's so fascinating. I'm not saying we are like that, but when I go to a place like that, uh, a festival, I mean, there's this festival in England, they don't longer, they don't do it anymore, they're all tomorrow's parties. There's a band that curated the festival and so I go there and then when I come back, I talk to people, I went to this festival, but let me explain you how it is. When you have someone that does that, then you really have someone that will support you, you know? So those, those type of things help to build that sort of clientele that they, they believe what you do. So I want to talk about the movement of the Wild Detectives, maybe just starting off with uh, Lit Bait and what oh. that was. And uh, some people may, that kind of took off and, and went viral. Let's start there. Well, we cannot take credit for that. That was a marketing advertising company. And the art director is friends with us. And she, um, she had this idea about doing um, a marketing campaign using classics and well he pitched it to us and we said oh, that's really cool let's let's all work together and make it happen so yeah they did it and well do you want me to explain what it was yeah, yeah. so it was a sort of a mimicking the clickbaits that you see in the normal internet these uh, headlines that you see about people learning five languages in two hours or person that has like 48 kids in you know stuff that is almost impossible to happen well, those are called lead baits uh, click baits so it was the idea of uh, using that sort of catchy headline that people would click it and then realize that had to do with actual a classic novel they use classic novels because they are they don't have copyright so we use uh, the prince from machiavello madame bovary but titles that are already without rights and um and it worked really well. I mean, we when when we launched it, it didn't it didn't have much impact. And a few months in, uh, there was a publishing company, a, a publication company that uh, sort of posted, and I guess they found it and they found it really cool. And then it peaked from there, and it went internationally and all over the world. CNN, big media outlets talk about it. So it was very very good, very good. Uh, very good promotion. I wouldn't say business because most of the people that was <laughs> uh, that was rich with that didn't live in Texas or in Dallas for for that matter. But but it still it was a really a really good move uh, as far as not just promoting ourselves but promoting literature and tell people that well that book that you never ever considered to read might actually be closer to you than what you think. And he ended up, uh, the campaign ended up winning two bronze Leons at Cannes at the advertising festival. So yeah, it was a really, really happy encounter, that one. Why do you think it was so popular and, and people picked up and it went viral? Well, it's funny. Uh, it's a way, I think it's a way to, it has the paradox of misleading people but for a good reason. And then it has this witty part of, okay, it has this 
sort of uh, okay let me find what this is because you have uh, a title like saying i don't know uh teenager in england gets killed by taking a selfie and then he's dorian gray portrayed so you would see that title once you understand how the game goes and because we had plenty of titles like 20 or something so by the third one you realize how, how it works and then you start wanting to know okay what book are they talking about here so it has that component of gaming you know about okay let me find let me see if i can discover what book is behind and then also is for the most part everybody loves books even people that don't read they still understand the value so it's a way for you to you know have fun with friends with something that you value that you say okay in a way i'm sending this to you i'm promoting in a way this literature or this reading activity that even if i don't engage with it i still think it's valuable for everyone mm-hmm. so it has many many good things and no cost associated so i think that was one of the main reasons that it helped out and i think it's it's just fun you know um to talk about things that you like in a attractive easy and you know cool way i'm pretty sure people hate clickbait and also feel that the internet has kind of dumbed down a lot of discussion uh almost as far as it could go maybe it can go further they'll prove me wrong <laughs> but i discovered that and and uh, i i thought it was a clever idea but it was also a, a positive thing out there you know mm-hmm. against a backdrop maybe of internet trolls and and this kind of polarized discussion it was kind of bringing a little bit of civility back into the internet and 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 uh you know sharing something positive which is uh, yeah. i think we're all in need of that the next thing i want to talk about is is voice i think you i'm not sure whether you said this or you quoted saying voice is more valuable than information mm-hmm. maybe just explain what what that is yeah um well yeah the reason we said that on the on the talk is because one of the main things that we do at the bookstore that we haven't talked about it yet is the curation that we do um, because the space is really small, uh, which is, I think is a blessing in a way. That way we have to be very careful with the things that we offer from books to records or even drinks. Um, so what we're trying to say is that uh, nowadays everybody has access to everything. I mean... When I was a kid, having this this record or that book was something so valuable that it, it pretty much made you cooler, you know, because you had that. Oh my God, these guys have so many records and records that his cousin is bringing from England and so on. That, that the, there is a new paradigm now that is no longer anything. I mean, you can have thousands of records in your house and say, well, I can I can have those in my phone. Why, why do I need that? But what is still valuable is to know what you have and to be able to recommend that to people that you think they would like that and that's what we call the boys i mean information is everywhere you just you are one click away from anything you want from culture to science to anything you want but knowing someone that can drive you that can guide you through there is is the same as it was you you still need that uh, older brother or cousin or that person that somehow tells you what is cool and what is not cool I mean, to put it in a simple way we're not trying to do that we're not trying to tell what's cool or what's not cool but we're trying to filter things so it's easier for you to just pick those things if you're not very familiar with them or if you are you probably recognize some of them too um so when we say the boys, what we're trying to express is that it's important in a way to have places 
where you just, you just don't have everything, but you have something that you probably find interesting even if you didn't know, and places that also celebrate that. So in in the surface ways, we actually do the curation. So it's, a, uh, it's exactly what we're talking about. It's the voice of what we think you would find, find interested. And in the secondary level is a place that somehow celebrates that that celebrates talking about things and realizing how important it is to talk about the things that you like, which is what we're going back to what we said initially, to have those conversations about the books or the music that you like. So we're just trying to express this thing uh, by telling, okay, this is the books that we love and this is the place where you can talk about what you love to. So that's, I guess that's the boys. That's, that's when we say the boys, what we're trying to refer to. Let's talk about your journey here. I mean, what did you want to be when you grew up? <laughs> <laughs> I, I had no idea. In fact, um, I was so lost when I was a kid that I finished high school in, in Spain. When you finish high school, you start college, obviously, and you have, it's not like here that you have some sort of flexible years. You just pick your career and you're married to it. And I was 17 year old, finished high school, and I had to pick my career. And I always liked science. When I was in high school, I was, my dad is an engineer, my brother is an engineer, so kind of like a family of engineers. And then I had no idea what to do, and I was just trying to figure out that my dad said, okay, you're not going to figure that out, so just why don't you just become an engineer and do whatever you want to do after that? So I just did that. I started working, uh, studying engineer. I liked it, and, um, and I still do. But I realized it took me a little bit. It took me a little bit to realize that it was not gonna, it was never gonna be my passion. I like science, and when I was starting to do it, I love reading about science and and do like uh, basic science. But once I start applying it to actual real work, which is the engineer, I realized that I liked it. It was a dynamic uh, work, and uh, it allows you to travel and meet a lot of new people. And I think is, I'm, I'm glad that I did that because it, it wired my brain in a different way. But at the same time, I realized that if, if my life was going to be just that, maybe it would have been okay, but I think it was worth to explore something else. Especially since I like so much music and, and, and writers and, well, and things like that. But I never really had a clear path of what, what I wanted to do with my life, and I still don't. <laughs> <laughs> and I think it's okay. I mean, I, people sometimes torture themselves too much with what they should do. Maybe for me it's easy to say that because I sort of I have some sort of balance with the diff different things I do. But I think it's also good to be patient and let it go and see what happens. And you never know. Just do things that you enjoy and eventually, or maybe not, but at least torturing yourself about, okay, I need to do this or what, what is my passion? Well, you, maybe you need time to realize that, you know. I still don't know mine, I think. Or maybe, or maybe or it might change. I mean, it's it's hard. I'm trying usually to stay away from uh, very strong statements right, about, right. about who I am or what I like or things like that. Have you heard the expression Bobos, these bourgeois uh, bohemians? Yeah. <laughs> I, I read the, the book years ago in Buenos Aires in a boutique uh, little hotel there. And I thought, this is what I'm doing. I was working in management consulting and using my air miles to go to Buenos Aires and read uh, literature. And I was like, oh, this is quite funny because the idea in the book is kind of, this is the new uh, bohemians, people that have got money. And and actually thought that was a, uh, 
that was a good thing at the time. Now I'm not so sure, but um, you know whether you can be a bourgeois uh, bohemian or not. I don't think there is anything wrong with uh, making money and enjoy an intellectual life. I think that, um, and it's something that uh, is usually criticized by conservative people when they see someone from the left that is supporting arts. If that person is wealthy, they say, oh, but how can't you drive that car or live in the house and supporting that? Well, they don't realize that by saying that they're pretty much assuming that anyone that is conservative is full of shit. <laughs> Which is, I mean, just by, by contrast, I mean, by saying that any person in the left or I'm not, I'm, I'm not trying to take this into the politics, but it's these sort of generalizations that don't really make much sense. And when you, when someone say, okay, you just can't be an intellectual if you make money. So what do you mean that just because, um, that means that everyone that makes money is stupid or because you realize that that doesn't make any sense. So I'm usually opposed to those generalizations. I do agree, though, that in many cases, a struggle helps to be more creative. I mean, I think we all find that. When we find difficulties, we tend to push farther. And you can apply that to different levels, from creativeness to real work or not real work, like practical work or, or things like that. But in a way, I'm, I'm not... Uh, uh, I think general generalization about behavior and creative potential is is wrong from the start. I mean, it's we are humans and everyone is different, and it's almost futile to try to okay, if you do this, then I can expect that from you. Well, then you set for failure. You you think that way. This is paradox that we spend so long trying to label everything and, and, and say if you believe in that, you can't be that, and this and that and the other. And in the end, it's all that's a it's rubbish basically yeah. people can worry about it and am i artistic should i like that am i selling out here well yeah i think it makes things easier we all like to have a very clear position about what's right and what's wrong and we all get confused when we start seeing people that we always disagree with saying something that we agree with and we start saying oh my god what's going on i mean this guy's saying something that i actually think is right and that drives me nuts so it's it's just I guess human nature, you know, we try to keep things, we, we try to understand things. And in a way, we push to label everything we have around so we feel comfortable with where we are and who are we talking to. And he, if he said that, okay, this person is like that, that way he's not going to get me a war. And then I know if I can agree with him or not. So I, I'm saying that I'm not uh, different. I do that all the time too. So it's just the way we are. But it's good to have some sort of every now and then to tell ourselves, okay, it's not really right to do that. <laughs> You're a couple of years into the Wild Detectives now, and has, has there been anything surprising? I mean, I, I started the as and every interview with, you know, how do you introduce yourself at a party and there's a question about identity and how we see ourselves. And Has there been anything surprising in, in terms of how starting the, the bookshop has changed the way you think about the world or yourself or, or not really? I don't think I've changed drastically my view on the world. Um, doing the bookstore, coming from being just a civil engineer that would just enjoy bars and travels, it helped, probably helped me to see a little bit more of the uh, backstage of the creative people that I wasn't that exposed before. I met a lot of writers on the way and musicians, and which I knew a few before, but obviously after we opened the bookstore, that expanded a lot. In a way, probably that somehow uh, humanized the people a little more 
when I was a kid, I always tried to, I, you know, I have my idols, my the people, the writers to me, musicians, you got to see at least those guys on TV, but writers was something, oh my God, I mean, how is, what type of human being is a writer, you know, a person that actually writes these things and makes a living doing that, how, what the people has in his mind. And then you meet those and you realize that normal people with just a little more of an urgency to tell things and to observe things in a different way, which I still find fascinating. But uh, that's just at the personal level. As far as uh, discovering new things about the wall or how the wall works, I mean, I. <laughs> no matter what you do, when it comes to the human trade, as far as things or the or the supply chains and all those things, you could sell uh, books or you could sell towels you know I'm not saying it's the same but people looking for things people that make a living really have to make a living and they will fight for that living and no matter what they do in order to do that or what they sell by doing that it's just it's the same trade at the end of the day so I wouldn't say if, if any I was very uh, surprised how how easy people appreciate those things in a good way I'm saying I found very gratifying how people were actually real, recognize what you do. I'm still surprised because I, Paco and I had no idea what we were doing when we opened this thing and we still are trying to figure it out. And having people constantly coming to you and say, I really appreciate what you guys do. This is great. And you really made a change in the city. I, I still don't, don't digest that. I mean, in, in a way, because I find that very, very flattering, but at the same time, I think it's a little bit not appropriate for me to get those comments because I really had no idea what I was doing. And really what make that people successful, and I know this sounds like cliche, but really we, we just opened a place. I mean, we really, we didn't create anything. We didn't really write a new thing. So people are very humble in a way that they appreciate you for doing those things when they are actually doing the thing, you know, they're actually going there and supporting that. And it's not like when you write a piece of music or a book that you can tell the writer, oh, you make, you're making this way by reading it. I don't believe that, the book is already good. But a place is a place. I mean, people just go there and enjoy it or they don't go and if they don't go, it disappears. And it's not gonna stay there. So I think I found surprising in a really good way how people were very ready to to say hey thank you so much for doing this or to uh you know acknowledging that you're being very humble because uh, you know it certainly place does make a difference and it can be a catalyst for things to happen um as there has been with the coffee shop so yeah yes yes and and yes and i agree with that too i agree that yes i mean there are places that we'll appreciate that there and we will respect the people that put it together. Uh, yes, I agree with that. But I don't know, maybe maybe because uh, uh, I don't want to get into this too much because it's kind of like, it sounds like modesty or anything like that. But it's maybe because I had, we didn't have a background to do this and it just happened. I still feel that I'm not entitled to any recognition. Let me put it that way and then we'll move on. <laughs> You know, when you're saying it's it's kind of no big deal in quotes, uh, I just think certainly reflect on my professional career about the things that I've slaved over for <laughs> months or years sometimes that no one really appreciates and it's gone and you're on to the next thing and then you do something seemingly 
there's no big deal and it, and it has a huge impact. How do you get through all of the stuff that you need to do <laughs> having a full-time job and running the bookstore? Well, I, I try to keep the stress levels very low and luckily at the bookstore we have a really good team of people that really run the day-to-day things. So I don't really need to be involved. Then in my engineering work, I, for the most part, I keep very good hours, like normal hours. I don't have to stay late uh, often or work on weekends. So, so far, my day-to-day allows me to be balanced. Um, I don't have family. I think with family, this would be very different. Uh, not even kids, just having a partner. I'm single. So, and, I've, and I had a girlfriend for some time when I was doing the bookstore, and you could tell that it was, it was a little different. I was able to do it, but still, when you have a little more responsibilities in your personal life, that's when stress could come up quicker. I mean, so in my case, it's sort of easy to maintain a normal balance. I live very close to the bookstore, so it's very easy. I walk there. I just, I don't even go there every day. I go every other day almost and hang out there, see, see my friends. And also the people that walk there are friends of mine, which also makes it easier because then I know a lot of people might disagree with our friends involved in your business, but in this particular business, it sort of makes sense. So it doesn't, it's not, it's still, it's still a professional encounter what we have almost every day, especially the weekdays. But it's in a way that it doesn't really feel like that. That is an effort that you have to make and just go through it. Every now and then, yes, you have to run the numbers, figure out what needs to change to keep going with the business. And you have to make decisions that uh, you don't make them, you might go under. But it's not very difficult to maintain a work balance um, in this in this scenario. Dallas is, a, is, a, is an easy city to work. I mean, there is a lot of traffic and you drive, yes, but traffic is not completely horrible. People usually work normal hours for the most part. It's not like New York that in order to make a living, you need to leave the office at 8 p.m. or Madrid for that matter. So it's a city that somehow allows you to have a sustainability in your projects, you know, personal wise. Yeah, it's, yeah, I, I don't, I'm not very stressed to be honest. I, I, I try, I'm, I'm pretty organized. I have to say, I'm, I'm an engineer at the end of the day. So, and I always have my list of things to do when I when I need to do them. I almost, I even put the time for reading, the time for do this and do that. And, and I try to be consistent with that. Mm-hmm. I don't always make it, but for the most part, I keep up with it. And that helps a lot. I think that's a very good tip as well. And <clears throat> certainly something I try and do and have noticed huge results in actually making sure you make time in your, in your schedule to do things that are good for you. And hmm. So we started talking about Dallas. Um, so how do you explain Dallas? Well, with the heart and soul of Dallas, but how do you explain it to people from Spain or elsewhere? What this <laughs> place is that you live? It's a very difficult thing to do. Um, I think Dallas is, um, well, especially for someone that never been here, it will be very difficult because just try to picture a highway in the middle of the city it will be very difficult for us, someone from Spain. <laughs> but uh, here is very common. Um, I think Dallas is a city that uh, it has everything you need, but you just need to fight a little harder to get it. Uh, you are in Portland, Austin, or Chicago, obviously. 
you just go there and from day one you're enjoying the city. You go on the street and say, oh, look at the place I live. It's cool. It's what I've seen on TV. It's what people talk about. Dallas, it takes some time. You leave, you leave the house and you see a highway, no one on the streets. You heard about this place that you can go, but you go there and it's just a parking lot. And, and yeah, the place is cool once you get in, but just just the destination. So it takes some time to really get familiar with your surroundings and start appreciating the city as a whole instead of these little things that you can do. I'm excited. I'm 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 excited with Dallas too because the changes I've seen recently, I think they're very positive. There are other things that might not be that that good, but for the most part I think we're going in the right direction. The changes in the city council, all the things that are happening to the city, especially over the last two or three years, I think are are very exciting. And just the potential of that, I think it makes me happy. Even if what I see every day is far from what I would like to be, just just to know that there are people working in the same direction as you expect it to go, is very helpful to feel good where you live. And at the same time, it's a city that, um, in relation to what I said earlier about how people appreciate things, I think Dallas is really keen to appreciate good things. Maybe, I don't know if because of the lack of them or because... As much as it feels like a big city is not that big at the end of the day, it's very easy to do things that have an impact, that have a real impact. Um, and not even talking about the bookstore, when we, before we opened the bookstore, we did this movie series at the Texas Theater. We had done that in Austin, nobody would never know anything about it. But we did it at the Texas Theater and people reacted to it. And that is very important when you do things, especially not knowing what you're doing, to have people reacting and say, hey guys, this is this is cool. We appreciate what you guys are doing. And I think Dallas is a really good place for that. They would, you might encounter other people that might say you the opposite, that Dallas is a place that you do cool things and nobody will react to it. My experience has been the opposite. And not just the way, just when I do things, I, I it's easy for me to see those things that make sense within the city. It's easy to uh, recognize those cool things. It's still not completely overwhelmed with things going on every day, left and right. When people do things that make sense, they just pop up and they go over the rest. And I think that's a cool thing, you know? It's, uh, I think it's easier to, to just identify those things and enjoy them and see the people that care for them or meet the people that are behind those. I think that's also a very fulfilling, you know, to be able to talk and meet the people that actually do things that you respect and appreciate. And Dallas is a good thing for that because it's, it's possible and it's actually easy to do it. Do you think you have a different experience living here as a Spanish speaker or it doesn't really make any difference? Yeah, I think it's been different. Obviously, I'm not sure exactly how I could articulate that. I mean, it's it's different in a way that, uh, I, I mean, let me put it that way. I think if I was if I was in Spanish, Spanish probably had achieve the same thing. I'm not saying that being Spanish really had a complete affection about an influence about what I did. But the fact that you're not local tend to people perceive you in a different way for the good or or the worse, you never know. For the most part, it's been a good experience. I never really had, well, if anyone we were dealing with the city and the alcohol license and things like that, the fact that you're not American might complicate things a little bit. But generally speaking, Talking about the actual bookstore, it, it might actually help the way, okay, you see these two guys from Spain, Europe doing this thing, has an, a European flavor. It, it seemed, seemed the right people to do that, right? Which could be done by anybody else, but in a way probably helped to legitimize a little bit the project more. As far as normal life, 
Yes, obviously you are a foreigner, your life is a little different than if you are local, no matter if you are Spanish or American or you live here or in Australia. Um, it might help to people be a little more open-minded with you when people talk to you and start being curious about where you're from and how you ended up here. That already acts as a filter somehow, a filter or in a, you know, catalyzes how people talk to you and they understand that you are a little bit different from them. And that set the conversation a little different because you're talking to someone different. But I wouldn't say all these things that we've done would have changed how mm -hmm. we, we were different. Uh, not, not Spanish. I mean. Just talk about uh, any current projects that you've got on that you want to listen to know about at the bookstore or <laughs> outside <laughs> that, that well, you want to talk about. On the bookstore, we just recently made a change as far as how we curate books. We used to have someone dealing with all the selection of the titles and we moved, we took this curation thing to a different level where we realized we have a lot of friends that read a lot more than we do. Plus, we, by this time, we know a lot of writers and publishers and people that actually know a lot about what's going on in the literary industry and on literature as a general thing. So we start asking them what books they like and what books they think we should have for sure at the bookstore. And, and we came up with a really long list. So now we're using that list to do our selection. And the goal was to have, and we're almost there, is to have uh, a selection of books where every single book that we have has been read and vetted by someone that we know personally me or any other person living working at the bookstore so it's kind of like taking this filter or curation to that level where you come to the store and we cannot guarantee you that you love the book but we can guarantee you that it's an interesting thing to read which i think is the future of independent bookstores uh whether you curate it that way with your friends or with just one person that's, that's the value that we can put out there that no one can on the internet. Yes, they can. They can have a page with recommendations and scores by readers, of course. But here you just see the people that are recommending you the book and you can talk about that. And that helps a lot to have that trust and, and let go about new things that you probably wouldn't buy if it wasn't for that interaction. Yeah, I guess that's one of the things that we implemented recently. Me and my partner are now looking at a new project in the neighborhood too, but that is still is on the work, so I better don't go listen. <laughs> don't talk about it yet. Uh, so, so listen up and, and look out for that in the future. <laughs> the podcast, I, I guess, is is exploring art, business, and and community. And I think the the book shop and you as a person kind of cut across all those different things, and we've certainly talked about all of those things um, to date and. Uh, so it's breaking down the boundaries between those different silos and, and you know, you like art, so you can't be in business and you, you're in business, so you can't do anything for the community or like art, you know, it's kind of all these bizarre things. What sort of uh, life lessons or advice do you have for the listeners who, who are just maybe, I mean, personally, I, I just say, and I was really looking forward to talking to you um, before we get into this um, because you're doing a professional job and you run a bookshop. I mean, it's... Uh, I, I admire that personally and it's certainly something Thank I you. celebrate and, and I hope other listeners appreciate it as well that um, 
even without these uh, the, the life lessons we're going to get to, I think just what you've done is actually is interesting by the nature of it and the passion that you bring to it and, and the storytelling you do around it and the fact that you've managed to survive and you're willing to talk to me about it after a long day, which I really appreciate. But, um, so I want to say that. But then, you know, just any any kind of life lessons for people that want to get the most out of life and really... Um, I think uh, one of the things that people need to have is patience. I think there is uh, an artificial urgency nowadays to become someone very early in life. And one thing I appreciate uh, when I was a teenager in Spain is there was no urgency for anything. I think one of the dangers uh, of the social media now is that you just see people and you somehow have to, you have to have your own model or role right off the bat when you're a kid. And I think that's very dangerous because no matter what you try, you're going to change. You might not change the whole thing, but you change your interests, you change things, and you need to let yourself do that. If you start feeling that you're betraying yourself every time you make a change, that's not going to, you're going to live miserable. So I think patience is, a, to me, is a really good advice to people. I mean, life is long, and even college, I mean, college is an experience of how you develop as a person. And after that is when things start to take a little bit of a shape. And even though we each, each generation lives a little longer than the other one, so the references that you have are not always clear references. So what it was the thing to do for your parents when they were 30 might not be the thing to do for you when you're 30. Or it might be, I don't know, but you gotta be careful how you pick your mothers and, and realize that you don't have to argue things that you don't feel sure about them. You feel sure, of course, but for the most part, people are not that sure about what they want to do when they're 15, 16, or 17, or even 25, for that matter. So I think it's important to let yourself go, take what you like seriously. I mean, if you like uh, reading or music or traveling or painting, allow the time for that and be serious about that too. But at the same time, just let let it go and see where that takes you. I mean, I think it's important to to let your personality develop in a free way instead of trying to imitate things that you don't really believe in them. Or maybe you do, but just give yourself time to really understand that. I think that would be my advice. If <laughs> I'm, <laughs> I'm very uncomfortable giving advices to people because <laughs> I'm not... <laughs> I mean, I made a lot of mistakes in my life, so <laughs> that may be the best advice to <laughs> to, to leave people. With. Any final words? Uh, no, I mean, just thank you so much for this opportunity. I still find these things amazing that people allow me to talk about my personal experience, and it's very flattering. And I really appreciate that you take the effort to come over here and have this conversation with me. Javier, thanks so much for joining me. Thank you. To stay up to date on all the things going on with Total Life Complete, you can sign up to the mailing list by visiting the website at www.totallifecomplete.com and you'll also get special offers and discount codes for events. Let me know what you want out of the podcast by emailing me at podcast at totallifecomplete.com. All the best. <laughs>